0: In verse 17, the Bible says, charge, oh wait, I made the wrong, chapter, you're probably in the right chapter, It so says chapter 5, I was looking at chapter 6, chapter 5, verse 17, says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they you labor in the word and doctrine. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muscle the ox that tread about the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin, rebuke before all that others may also need fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the white angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are opened beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise (coughs) cannot be hid. Apostle Paul talks about in different passages about the difficulties of the church uh, in Ephesus, Um, and, and many times this was likely because of the pastors that were there, the elders they had that many times would be inadequate. Paul had been, um, predicted that there would be some of the elders that would come out of that church that wouldn't be really being there to be a servant of the Lord but rather were trying to simply gain disciples to follow after them and that it would teach damnable heresies and Um, false doctrines, and it would be more about developing their own cult following than really about ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ um, to the people. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, who is now serving as one of the elders, one of the pastors in Ephesus, on how to restore proper church and pastoral oversight. He speaks of the church taking care of their pastors financially, honoring them, protecting them, but that there may also be a time um, where there's rebuking needed, needed and even removing a removing pastor if necessary, and also he gives um, instruction to choose pastors, elders, um, needs to be done careful when you're selecting them. That is not to be done flippantly. And so back in verse 17, uh, we see Paul writes, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. In the previous message, we um, spoke about how the um, the offices or or the, the functions of elder, pastor, bishop are three functions of the same office we're not going to belabor that point today we do have a previous mentions message on that but just to give a couple of scriptures that um clarify shows that um in acts chapter 20 and verse 17 paul gathers the elders of the church at ephesus uh, who likely was often meeting in several different homes instead of in a big assembly uh, most of the time um, and, and so Um, He was meeting with them. He calls the elders in verse 17. It talks about gathering the elders from the church of Ephesus. And in verse 28, he tells the elders, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. That would be the pastoral, the shepherding um, aspect of it. Being an elder would be the maturity of being mature in the word and spiritual understanding. It says over the which the holy ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of god and so the holy ghost called the the elders to be overseers which is the same word translated as bishop as we see in first timothy chapter three and so that's the ruling the leading aspect of the function and then you see the feeding the church of God, which again is like that shepherding of taking care of the sheep, which she had purchased with his own um, blood. And so here Paul is talking, to uh, Timothy, about the elders, the pastors that would be involved in a ministry, either there or that they would be sending out to start new churches or fill in uh, pastors where maybe there was no pastor at the time. And Paul gives instructions specifically to give them double blind. Those that are worthy, those that uh, labor well in the word and in doctrine, in the teaching and the preaching of the word of God, to give them double honor. Now, I need mean, you understand why, you know what, this is why I'm saying it's best not to be online, a pastor talking about, hey, give me double honor. Okay? It's kind of awkward to preach something. But, no, it says they that labor well, to give them double honor, and what speaking of specifically is financially caring for um, the pastors or the pastoral staff and we see that he says in, in verse 18 for the scripture sake and this is what any preacher should be doing is going okay what is the same Scripture? not what is popular today not just from some top ten things uh, in a book but what does the scriptures say what does the Word of God what does the Bible teach and that's what Paul taught and what he preached is what scripture says and he says here for the scripture saith thou shalt not muzzle the ox that tread about the corn and the laborer is worthy of his reward and so Paul appeals to scripture One of the scriptures is Deuteronomy twenty-five four, which says, "Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn." And you see, the ox would be involving, crushing and treading the corn, and then up carrying. uh, And and, and when I talk about corn, that's the older English word for grain. And so they would tread it, and so get the grain. And some would practice muzzling. The ox. Anyone have any idea why sometimes they would muscle the ox? What's that? would we'll eat it. Yeah, so they wouldn't eat it. They're thinking, hey, we don't want, or we want to, some would think, well, muscle the ox, so they're not eating our food. That would be the mindset of some. But God told them, through Moses, muscle not the ox. Why do you think that would be the case? Why would God say not to muzzle the ox? Anyone else? You know why some would? Why would they not? Okay, well, an ox that does not eat is going to get weak, it's going to lose its strength, it's going to lose its motivation to actually do the job you're using it to do. And so, God says, don't no, muzzle the ox. Now, you know what, it needs to be able to eat, it's doing work for you, it needs to be able to eat, to be able to continue on in its role. And as we will see, God was illustrating something for later as well. Um, The other scripture that Paul appeals to is Luke 10, 7. And he says, and in the same house remained. it is that when Jesus sent the disciples out, and Jesus um, sent the disciples out, and he said, don't bring any strip, don't bring any money with you, uh, but just go, and those that feed you peace and welcome you in their home, um, you, you stay there, and they say, take care of you and feed you. Uh, I know today, we kind of have, have a harder time imagining a stranger just coming over, and we. Um, lodging them, but it would be pretty common in that day where they would look after one another, and they would lodge strangers. And and so um, to, Jesus told his disciples not to take any money, not to take any bag, and just take one one garment, and and then and go and preach the gospel. Another time, Jesus tells him to bring in a strip and uh, 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 to bring a coat and bring money. Um, I mean, and so, some people have tried to point out that, hey, the Bible contradicts, and when no, you know, it's in the topic about the same book, I even believe, but it's two different locations. Why the difference? I don't know, maybe in one aspect, God was teaching them a lesson in faith. And, and Jesus then was telling them to go without and trust in God and teaching them a lesson of faith. And maybe the other time, God was teaching them To learn being prepared being well prepared for the difficulties that they would face but here Luke says for the laborer is worthy of his hire and he tells them go not from house to house that's where if someone bids you God's feet lets you in teach and preach them the gospel and don't just be like hey okay I gotta move on if they're ready decide uh, teach them the gospel and Disciple them, but he tells them the labor is worthy of his hire. That is, the apostles would go and preach the gospel that is worthy of them if others end up taking care of them. But what's important about Paul's quote of Luke here reveals that he revealed, look, a New Testament book is scripture. So he's not only quoting the Old Testament, here he's now quoting from the New Testament um, and quoting scripture. And likewise we see in 2 Peter three fifteen and 16 that Peter views Paul's writings as inspired scripture. And much of his writings here um, makes much of the New Testament that we have today. And so. Which is pretty interesting about showing the inspiration of scripture and the apostles recognizing it as such. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. You know, in studying to um, prepare a message, one thing that's important to do is to look at is, is there any cross-references that also deal with this um, topic? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Paul Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas was Peter, and so we see here, he even recognizes that Peter had a wife, which in the Catholic Church, um, the Pope cannot be married. But we see here, Peter was uh, had a wife, and so he was not a pope, okay? He was simply one of the elders, one of the pastors of the church, at the moment in Jerusalem, not in Rome. There's no mission scripture of him pastoring in Rome, but he pastored in Jerusalem for a while, and then James came um, to be the lead pastor there. Um, we see, recognize that Peter was married. Another Bible verse in the New Testament the Gospels talks about Peter's mother-in-law. Um, if you have a mother-in-law, you you've got to have a wife as well. Okay, Because, for I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working. Okay? Paul's saying, hey, hey, we're allowed to have a wife. We're not. We don't. Paul is saying, now these other apostles do, but we don't. They want them to focus on, um, the ministry alone. God called him in that aspect and he says, do we have power for fair working uh, as far as working a settler job? And and the, the rhetorical question is, yes, it would have that right. But he then says, do go of a warfare anytime at his own charges. And you know, if someone knows the battle, is he really typically using his own funds to buy all of his weapons, to, to, to uh, buy his own food, and to, to then go over there? Is he really funding his own battle? No, not typically, okay? Typically, okay, a nation would have a military, and then the military would have a nation, and there'd be tax dollars, and the tax dollars in the military would support them to go to battle. To, to support them to support their wife and kids at home and, and, and so he says you go go for time or for any time in his own charges you plant them a vineyard and eat them not of the fruit there now, you know typically if people have a garden they're also gonna eat of their own garden not only sell it to others Or you feed them a flock and eat them not of the milk of the flock Say I these things as a man, or say i not the law of the same also. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth about the corn. Doth God take care of for oxen? Okay, does God take care of oxen? Yeah, he, he does. But you see what Paul says. He says, Or save me all together for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, Is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his fruit. Now, that command, although yes, it benefited the ox because the ox was able to eat if it's not muscle, but that benefit was to, to be for mankind that it would actually be able to do its job more efficiently because. It was able to sustain itself through the work that it was involving. And it says, If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? And so the apostle here is giving instruction to the church. That you know what, just as we've sown unto you spiritual things. Okay, we've we given our life to it. This is our ministry to you day in and day out to serve you in these spiritual manners. Is it isn't really a great thing to then be taken care of? financially, um, which is why I was talking about his carnal things, that to, for regular secular things to be able to care for you. He says, no, that, that's the way it should be, and then it, and it goes on, nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is here saying, okay, we have this right, the law says we have this right, um, Jesus mentioned we have this right in his quotation of Luke, but he says, we as the apostles have not used this power, know, okay? unless in the future generation say, hey, the apostles did all of this, started this religion for financial gain, he's like, I do not want that to be a hindrance to the gospel, um, and so he was like, we have not exercised That power, that ability there. And as you read in Acts, you see he was a tent maker, that that he worked and built tents. And he would use that, the funds, he would use that to help sustain himself as he ministered to churches without charge. We do see on occasion that churches did uh, uh, help him in different times of need. Usually those were for the needs of others, of saints that were in poverty or... For starting other um, churches, uh, other ministries. He goes, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things, live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? So again, he alludes to the Old Testament, to Scripture, that just like in the temple, the priests, okay, they would minister in spiritual things, but they would read on the material things. Um, They would be um, supposed to take care of the Levitical priesthood um, in in their duties and their responsibilities. And he says, Even so, have the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And those that are called to preach would be able to live of the gospel. That they would be isolated. It first time I read that verse, I thought it was talking about a preacher should live what he taught. Now that's true, okay, but that's not what this passage is speaking of. This passage is speaking of that a preacher should live off of those um, supporting um, off of churches or missionaries like right? our missionary Kenny had that um, he is living off of churches supporting him financially. That he may be able to be there in Papua New Guinea, be able to focus on the ministry um, there. And again Paul says, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then, verily, that I, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. And so here, Paul is saying, okay, I'm not saying these for my sin. This is not why I am saying it. It's more he wants to know, maybe in future generations, he wants um, the others to be able to, pastors that he installs, for them to be able to be taken care of financially, so that they can minister greatly um, to the congregations. And he says, you know what, I'm not in this for the money. He says, even if it was against my will, you know what? This dispensation, this has been committed to me. God has called me to preach the gospel, and woe is me if I preach not the gospel. See that with Isaiah where he gets weary in the flesh, and he's like, you know what? I don't want to speak the word anymore. I'm done. I've wept. I've had sorrow, overdose, I preach to, and they continue in their idolatry and refuse to repent, and I don't want to mention anything of his name anymore. But then he says there was a fire um, in my bones burning, how could I but preach the good tidings? How can I but preach what God has committed unto me? So no pastor should have any motive to be preaching for the financial gain. Well, yes, he says, okay, the church support the pastor that ought not to be the pastor. That's a financial gain. That's where Peter I even mean, talks about, okay, pastor David Hebrews talks about, okay, obey them to have the rule over you. Uh, that have spoken unto the word of God. But then elsewhere in Scripture, we see Peter writing to the pastors to not lord over God's heritage. To remind them, this isn't your heritage. This isn't your church. This is God's heritage. And to not lead is lords over them, but to be in ensamined. To be an example um, in the faith. And, and also, he tells them not to be guilty of filthy lucre. That they're doing that for that purpose. You to do that for purpose. Again, it tells the church care for those who um, help you spiritually. And you know, with our church, um, definitely, I say, I say it's not our church, and then I say our church. I say in our church, as in the aspect, we're all members of his body. Okay, so we can all rightfully say this is our church, it's Christ's church, but we are members of this body and um, the church um, does do what they can to take care of us. And there's been times where we were a bit smaller and I couldn't take any salary from the church. Um, now there was still financial benefit in having the parsonage, the house, the utilities um, paid for. Well, you know what? Some pastors maybe would be like, okay, I'm not getting a full-time salary. I'm done. And that's where the Bible talks about their wolves. They're not really watching after the sheep. They're just doing it for financial gain. And so there's been times where we endure without um, any type of um, paycheck specifically. And in other times where we'd be paid 100 a week or 200 a week, and now the Lord's blessed the church, and the church has blessed us more. So I'm not preaching this to say, hey, give me a pay raise. You know, we're being taken care of um, financially. Um, now, because of our church, I, say, I do need to work another job. And uh, but I'm blessed of God where he enabled a job to be one where I could work usually three days a week there and able to work on some aspect of the ministry of studying there. I know that's not typical, that's not normal, but it's just been neat to see how God has provided, God has sustained us, and as we're called to be faithful um, to what God um, has us to do. and and he does uh, tell the church as well to try to be faithful and that's why with our missionaries we want to bless you know sometimes we might be oh you know we try to do too much no let's do as much as we can for the missionaries um, as we can when we have guest speakers especially those that are traveling just on the road aren't pastoring the church but are just traveling, preaching supporting them financially um, lodging them, feeding them and financially being a blessing to them as they've been a blessing to us in spiritual things. And so we're not the pastors financially, labor's worth misreport, but then we also are to muzzle not the ox with false accusation, or muzzle not the pastors with false accusations. Um, back in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, again in um, verse 19. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. This demand does not place pastors above rightful accusations, but protections it gives them protections from frivolous false allegations. And this is not giving um, a greater benefit to pastors than to other people. This is something that is for all. This is something that was written in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Go ahead and turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 19. So this isn't um, given the pastor extra rights, so to speak, um, but this is something that was meant for everybody except to be two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. It says, One witness shall not rise up against any man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established okay so this is the law is saying okay everyone should there be two or three witnesses now can this end can a crime be committed with no one seeing with only one person seeing yes but God cares about people not being falsely accused, and he says there needs to be two or three witnesses before something is officially established. And it sometimes stays investigated. If there's only one witness, and you know it takes more investigation to find um, that there would be two witnesses that could testify that, say, a crime was committed. But it says then, If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests, and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent in position, And behold, if the witness be a false witness, and have testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him, As he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shall thou put the evil away from among you. And those that remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, two for two, hand for hand, foot for foot. And so here we see that the law, the Bible teaches there shouldn't be two witnesses. Two or three witnesses. And if someone is falsely accused, that they should pay the price. Whatever day we're trying to really seek someone else to be punished with, they should be punished with. Okay, but in today's terms, if someone falsely accuses another man of rape, falsely accuses. They should be doing time to that rape if someone falsely accuses someone of theft, they should be out fulfilling this sentence for that crime. And so here, Bible might okay for the elders. Now, you know what? Don't want the do little little bit of gossip here and there kind of get you derailed from your mission. Well, let there be two or three witnesses. If guilty, pay for the crime, false accusers, also be punished. Matthew 18 in the New Testament, the Gospel accounts, um, repeats um, this in in different words. Go ahead and go to Matthew 18. Um, Matthew 18, 20 is a verse that is probably one of the most commonly misinterpreted, misapplied um, scriptures It says, for where where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Most often this verse is used to say, really, I don't need a church, you know what, me and someone else up in the mountain, that's our church. Now there's two or three of us, and we're worshiping the Lord, and we're not, uh, we don't have to have a church service, so to speak, we're just out doing whatever, going fishing, and Jesus is in the midst of us because there's two or three of us. That's not what the verse is teaching. One, Jesus is there, even if you're confined in solitary confinement by yourself. You don't need another person or two to be there for Jesus to be in the midst. Okay, see in the context, um, Matthew. 19, Eighteen, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. That's Jesus repeating what the law said. Okay? So if Russ and I have an issue, okay? You know, I have an issue with him, I should go talk with him personally. If he has an issue with me, he should come talk with me personally. Not us go and start gossiping to other people. Go, man, you know, I can't believe Russ did that. Or can't believe me, I can't believe the pastor did that. No, we're supposed to go to each other privately. Then, if, say, you know, there's just no resolution. Right then the Bible says, okay, take another or take two and work on trying to get a result. Okay? And then, then if you gain your brother, then you know, things of resolved. And, and the mouth of two or three witnesses, then they can establish, say, there's no turning, there's no repentance, and there or there's just simply not resolution. Then what I'm supposed to do, it goes on and says, then, and if you shall neglect to hear them, Tell it unto the church. But if you need like to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a even man and a publican. Verily I say to you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, they are my new midst of them. Okay, so that's the church body um, working together, um, trying to uh, root out, just gossip and rumors, but things that are real offenses where one is committed a fall against another to resolve it, to get it resolved as a body. And that if it's a sin that's not repented of, then you bring someone else and, or two people. And then if it's still not resolved, then there may be a time where it's addressed and dealt with publicly. And we always hope that it doesn't have to get to that. But sometimes it may, and sometimes it it, it does. But usually things are taken care of on the one-on-one level. And then, if that's so they resolve it, then with another another or two others. And so that's actually the context of the verse where two or three are gathered together in my name. They're in the midst of them. It's the exercise of this in the church body that Jesus is in the midst. It's your fallen Christ, your fallen scripture. And the purpose isn't to put down or condemn, but to restore. To help bring resolution. Okay? So it says, Muzzle not the pastor or the elder's. With false accusations. But if there is a legitimate accusation, um, again, talk to one of the first. If not, bring another two. If no repentance, bring it before the church. If there is sin, specifically with a pastor, a disqualifying sin of being a pastor in the ministry, then you muzzle those who sin. And it was read on. Okay, again it says, against another receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. You know, many times when things have been, it's been a misunderstanding. It's so often a misperception. But it says, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. And so you muscle those who sin against specifically any that violates the qualifications that Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 1 to 7. If there's disqualifying sin. Um, um, sometimes it maybe is just if it continues down that path and it just needs to be reconciled and be restored. Um, Why the Bible says the is not to be lifted with pride. Okay, if the pastor is continually arrogant and lifted with pride, they're not fit for office. And so you know what? Sometimes there needs to be that humbling. And so here exists them that sin, that, okay, if you've already gone with two and three witnesses, there's no repentance, then there needs to be things sometimes brought before the church in regard to a pastor. And this is so others also can. You know, others that would maybe be seeking to go into ministry, that they see that, you know, as James says, be not many masters, for we shall receive the greater condemnation that when you're in leadership, when you're in a way of influence, that there's going to be a greater accountability that we um, have. And so it says that others may also fear, you know, when there's those that are in sin, unrepentant sin, um, disqualifying ministry, don't cover up or ministries with a scam. Don't do it. Don't cover it up. Sometimes people with good intentions may try to cover things up, but it's a grave mistake that will look more ugly than dealing with it head-on and openly. The intention may be to minimize the damage to the Lord's name, but the result will show hypocrisy and a condoning of sin and in favor of protecting a person's reputation when they're guilty. As we see, the Bible says here observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So often there's been pastors that have gotten away with things that they themselves have preached against to the congregation, but they got away with it because of mere position because of their influence, because of their pastor, or their power in the eyes of the people of saying, you know what, we need to pretend them and go out, you know what, everybody sins, let's just overlook it. And sometimes they will be like, even when they dismiss a pastor, sometimes they'll try and do it so quietly and they go away and just really not try to mention it and deal with it publicly, not to, uh, sometimes to avoid going to the police when that should be the case in some cases, of is an actual um, crime, okay, it was a crime against the law, not if it's just any specific sin, but if it's a crime against the law, if there's a sexual offense to a child, that ought not to be covered up, that needs to be reported and dealt with, lest it go on and it go on. But again, sometimes people think we need to protect our church, our church's image. Let's not let it get out in the public where they find out that a Sunday school teacher or a bus worker abused a child. And so their intention maybe is good; they want to protect the image of the church. Even if they dealt with, maybe had the person move on, um, but you know dealing with things legally and rightfully is essential. It is necessary. You know, i've seen churches where they try to cover up for the sins of the pastor and it backfires it almost always backfires if not in this life it's going to backfire you know what i judgment but almost always even in this life you know if i be sure your sin will find you out i can think of churches on my head that you know they tried covering up the sin of the pastor And when they dismiss them, and I've seen it where they dismiss the pastor, or they didn't so much dismiss them, they retired the pastor and sent the pastor as a missionary to another country to try to protect the name of the church and to try to not embarrass the pastor. Well, it gets out. No, be sure your sin will find you out. it is revealed. God has a way of opening things that are done in secret, things that are hidden. And you know what? That church suffered great harm because of trying to hide it. Church in Florida suffered great harm because they tried to cover up for the sin of the pastor. And they lost members, of course. They lost people over it. And I've also seen the church where they had a scandal where a youth pastor that was young, okay, a youth pastor was sleeping around with one of the teenagers in the church, and he was on staff at the church, and the pastor kind of started to think, you know, things were a little bit strange and um, didn't have any hard facts, contacted CPS, and just to kind of find out, I just told something's odd, he's been hu- kind of hugging this girl, we commanded him, we told him to stop and he abides, but things just look kind of fishy with him being with this minor, and CPS of been told him, goes, well, you can't really do anything <coughs> until you know for sure. Until there, there's a witness, until there's a confession, um, otherwise, you could, you could be guilty of defaming his character. And so you got, you know what, if you need it, you can remove them from staff for other reasons or you just can't do it financially, but you really need to make sure. Well, it didn't take long for there to become evidence that there was that criminal behavior going on of um, seducing a minor um, in the church. And you know what? The pastor found out, reported it immediately to the authorities, confronted a man. And, if, and the man was like, you know, I'll, you know okay, I'll leave, but I'm and then he's like, I'll stay in the church, I just won't be on staff, and they're like, no, you're going to need to leave um, completely. The media called, um, called the church and said, hey, you Noah, know we hear that there's um, been a sex offender um, in your church, and, um, or that they committed a sex crime at that time, and left the voicemail, left the message, and so the pastor called back. And the journalist was shocked. And he goes, hey, you called me, right? And, and he's like, yeah. And he goes, but usually people don't answer back to the media with these kinds of allegations. And, um, and so the pastor told him, um, yes, we've had suspicions. Um, we put some um, rules in effect. The and then once we knew for sure some allegations were true, um, reported to the authorities, and we're dealing with it. And, and so they confronted head on, they spoke to the church and said, hey, this is going on, it's happened over and over, and they dealt with it publicly as a church, they reported it to the authorities, and um, on the newspaper, the next day, instead of them being on the front page headline such and such baptist church um, has youth pastor that runs a bus route and is than teenagers instead it was about some other thing on the front page and it was um, just someone that um, exposed themselves at a swimming pool and that was the front page news and a pastor was kind of confused by it and the journalist said Hey, you know what, we didn't want to give you front page attention. It was still in the paper elsewhere, but it you goes, know, we saw that you guys were doing and dealing with it right. You know what, you were cooperating. you were wanting this done properly. And so we just didn't want to land blast the church. That's a, they say entire church problem. And uh, because they saw, um, and then the bus ministry, you know what, usually you would think all of a sudden, parents would keep their kids from riding the bus to church. When they didn't have any fallout even when those people found out because they saw that the church dealt with the matter properly and the pastor specifically in that case um, dealt with it properly so exposing the sin rebuking the sin is going to be more beneficial than trying to cover things up that protected your reputation more by admitting yes this happened with one of our youth pastors, and we and we've dealt with it, that protected their image and reputation. It did not hurt them. It. It says observe these things are about preferring one before another doing nothing by impartiality. That means you know you're not showing someone special favor just because. You're a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, or of some ministry, or a big giver in the church. You don't go with partiality. Let the facts be facts one way or the other. Someone's guilty or someone's not guilty. And then it says in verse 22 lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. So, you know, be careful when you're ordaining men. Okay. He gave them a list in First Timothy chapter three. Look for a man that fills these qualifications: a, a man that is truly seeking the Lord. And in read First Timothy three. We've preached on that already, so we won't preach another message. But it's just lay hands suddenly on no man. Don't be too quick to ordaining men to pastor or to um, preach. Otherwise, you're guilty if you have not done enough research and given them time to grow spiritually. And he tells them, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. have some kind of infirmity um, where the wine would help medicinally. Um, In this case, sometimes the water was impure and the alcohol of the wine would um, purify some of the impurities. Um, Then he tells them, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before the judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they, that are otherwise, cannot be hid. And so he tells them, You know what? Some men's sins, they're open beforehand. You know, everybody sees it. You know, everyone knows they're guilty. And for some, the sin is kept a secret. But judgment day is coming. You know that person that looks like he never received justice? They've been a victim of some crime. You know Judgment's coming. We may not see it. But God has not forgotten about it. Some sins are just open beforehand, some are hidden, but judgment's coming and it will be revealed one day. But then he goes, likewise, in good works. You know, some people's good works, you can't but see them. You know, you, you know, they're serving in a church in some capacity. You know, maybe they're singing. Maybe they're going in to teach. Maybe you see them outside picking weeds, which we do need someone for that. You know, I've said my kids out there many times, we really need someone that just takes that as a ministry. And, yes, I my notes, okay? But, man, it's a ministry where, hey, we're taking care of that flower bed and stuff so, and get it. Think, I think my kids are just trying kind to of get in the tops and we need to get the roots up. But, you know what? You see them out there, but you can see their good works. You can see them. You know, someone cleaning, just cleaning out trash all on this public street. You can see them doing that. But there are many good works people do that's never seen. It could be someone cleaning the church who can't see them because they're outside and they're inside. That could be the case. Or it could be uh, that widow just praying in her closet. You know, praying for her pastor. You know, I help our pastor preach the word with clarity. Help our pastor to stay faithful to his family, to his wife. And, and just praying and praying. And you may never hear or see that. It's a good work that has hidden but one day will be revealed that God will reward them openly. And so whatever your good works are, now Jesus did say, let your good works shine before men. Okay, there's some good works, you know what? Let people see that, so your light shines. But he did also say, speak about, you know, that person that prays in the closet, they're not doing it on the street corner for a show, wearing all their religious garments and, Looking all mournful and praying for attention, but they're praying in the closet where so no one sees them. That God will reward them openly. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Just a quick summary. You know it, pastors. You know it. You should be faithful to preach in the Word of God because that's what God's called them to do. Not doing it simply is an occupation. But a church, likewise, should do what they can to care for their pastors, for their missionaries, and deal with sin. You know what? Um, deal with sin if there's a sin that needs to be dealt with, but also don't receive false allegations, okay? Whether it be a witness or two witness isn't. I'm not aware of any allegation about me as far as I know of, but if there is one, now you know how to deal with it um, scripturally, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly you know, Holy Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. and you know, this could be an awkward message for a pastor to preach to his own congregation. It would be easy to preach somewhere else. But, Lord, it woe is me even if I don't be faithful to preaching what your word says. Um, and as Paul says, you we know to preach the whole counsel of God. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that You bless our Wednesday Bible study as we um, do another me- um, the second half of the message or s- second third of the message, um, where we deal with um, what the Bible talks about uh, social justice versus biblical justice, and um, critical race theory will be one of the things to we'll be talking about on this Wednesday on um, the harms of it and of how it really perpetuates racism. Um, instead of unifying, in order to straight and Lord, great, Lord, he bless people today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Fellowship, shake hands, fellowship, be friendly. Amen.